Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching light, our mighty army, Wrexham is the name, Fearless in Devotion. Christ on all, you're listening to Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham podcast, sponsored by the Fat Boar, of course. Slightly different one for you this week. We're kicking off a special series of podcasts over the Christmas period, celebrating a very special anniversary. And for the Fearless in Devotion team, a very special fanzine to coincide with that. Tell us more about that, Andy. Well, it's 56 pages, which is eight more colour pages than last time. It's the same price as a bit of a thank you for everyone who's bought the first two. And we've divided it up a little bit. Half of it's uh, a sort of ode to probably Wrexham's greatest uh, greatest achievements, the beating Arsenal 30 years ago in this January. And then the rest is your normal features, plus a Paul Mullin exclusive. The club have been very good. They've given us a chat with Paul Mullin, and you'll hear a little bit of it later. But fanzine-wise, it is absolutely packed to the rafters we've got we've got mickey thomas we've got steve watkin we've got kevin reeves we've got brian flynn we've got wayne phillips we've got gareth owen we've got gordon davis we've got mark satori we've got andy thackeray right we've also got your own favorite we've got nick parry who was commentator at the game we've also got arsenal legend alan smith to give him give his perspective plus on top of that we've got sean harvey a profile uh we've got as i said we've got mullin we've got their year old favorites like dear beasts can you find brian flynn i spy my little bry plus we've got the mighty and shitey heroes phew there's even more than that but i'm knackered and obviously it's a it's a game that uh we all know about any Wrexham fan obviously knows the history, but I think we've all learnt something new from reading this fanzine and from everyone else's contributions, haven't we, Tim? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate to be to, to be there that day. Um, little did I think I'd be writing about it, you know, 30 years later and getting to speak to the players that, that managed to achieve that result that day. But yeah, like you said, it's at the time... You know, there's so much said about it. Oh, great results, sent shockwaves throughout the world of sport, not just football. So to get the anecdotes from the players involved on the day, stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know about, stuff from the dressing room, just really, really interesting stuff. And, and we've tried to do it in a way where, for you know, a lot of Wrexham fans will have only seen the highlights of that game, will have only you know read about it and and and, and seen little clips, video clips, and stuff that they wouldn't have necessarily known the sort of background to it and so on and so forth. So we've tried to deliver it in a way where we can educate those people about that result um, and everything um, apportioned to it, really. So hopefully it captures the imagination. There's a really good front cover that Liam Stokes Massey, pencil craftsman, um, local lad, has, has done for us, and it's really, really good. There's going to be some limited edition prints available from him soon um, with most of the money, I think, going to charity. Yeah, it's just, we're just really, really pleased with it. Really proud of the way it's come out. Um, we've knocked it around in it in quite a short time scale. But yeah, everybody's pulled together and, and we've pulled it out of the bag. And yeah, the, I think I think it's, well, it's definitely the best yet. We've kind of set the bar quite high for ourselves. 
Yeah, definitely. We, uh, it's we've all uh, really enjoyed putting it together, and it's been great to hear from some of those former players. We don't want to this podcast just to be a walking advert, though. So, um, obviously, thank you for everyone who bought it in the flesh for us, uh, from us, from Liam and Tim yesterday at the ground. Uh, you can also get it at Fearless Wales. Really easy for you to remember. Um, but despite all that, we did actually have a game uh, this weekend. One nil, three points. What did you make of it? It's pretty much the same story as um, most of our home games so far this season, really. Um, you know, the, the scoreline, 1-0. But just a bit, bit edgy at home. Still feels like struggle to pick teams apart. Uh, the crowd <laughs> is very edgy at the minute, it feels like, even though we're on an incredibly good run of form. Um, and I think after the game, I was sort of looking at with a bit of perspective. I looked at our form since November. I think we're something like, I've got my stats here, six wins, one draw and one defeat in the league since the start of November. So I think for me, that's got to be the biggest take home really is that we're in a results industry and, you know, we're actually doing pretty damn good form wise. So as much as it might be, we're not turning it on at home the same as we are away, but. I think I'm quite measured about it after that match. Yeah, uh, certainly didn't look convincing, did it? And it's not inspiring at the moment. But I suppose we're 20, game, 20 games in. I saw that, you know, the first 10 games, you've got 16 points. Second 10, we've got 20 points. So 20 out of 30 points is not um, is not too bad. Andy, what did you make of it? I think we're just in a spell now where we just need to get to January. Um, it's been quite good that we've had a relatively easy run about, you know, some sort of lower ranked teams. But as Lima said, we've been winning them. We've been getting, you know, we've not been losing games. So the key for me now is you get to January, you bring in one or two top class midfielders, maybe another striker, maybe a left back. I've heard that I've heard this. They're, they're looking at someone from from League Two. So, you know, let's let's get to January on the back of this good form and let's really push on. I don't know if we're going to be good enough for the champ for the title, but I, I think this is a top three side, especially if we bring in a playmaker. If you're looking for a left back, who's, who's that then? I've heard that it's a lad from Barrow actually, according to uh, red passion today. Oh, right. Well, Andy, Andy muted himself and he's still on mute then. Go on. Tell <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Liam is correct. It's a lad called Bruff. Uh, I think that's how you say it from Barrow. If you look at his record, well, according to Wikipedia, and that, that, when has Wikipedia ever lied to us? He's six foot three and he scored eight goals in sixty odd games. So you know he could be, he could be quite a weapon. Yeah, well, we're one game closer to January. Tim, you were there um, last night. <laughs> I, I had that feeling all the second half. They had one all written all over it, but uh, we, we managed to hold on. What, what did you think? Yeah, classic game of two halves, wasn't it? We played really well on the telly for once, but only for 45 minutes. <laughs> so whether whether the, the Hyde injury half-time disrupted it, what, you know, much I don't know, but... Lacking you know, some cutting edge, aren't we? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, again, we just... We just I think probably probably about half an hour to go, it just, it just the entire game went flat. Like, literally, it was like a training ground sort of game it was so boring and cumbersome and there was no urgency and uh, it can't be down. I mean, it, it could be down to fitness because I think Phil Parkinson mentioned there was a COVID outbreak, you know, whether that has a placebo effect on players, I don't know. You'd like to think not, but 
Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know what it is. We, we still haven't got a full, proper, decent, solid ninety-minute performance in this. But as I've mentioned, I mentioned on the Twitter Spaces yesterday, and a few other people pointed out. Ultimately, you know, if we play good for ten minutes and we still win, and we do that every week, then we're going to go up. So you know, it's small mercies, and, and you know, yes, it's an entertainment's business for the the average paying going fan but it's a result business at the end of this end of the day and any any football manager will tell you that so yeah i think if you'd have offered any of us and any wrexham fan fourth place four points ahead of grimsby six points ahead of stockport uh albeit with you know having played a, a game or two more uh, if you'd have offered us that even at the beginning of the season i would have taken that if you'd have offered it about a month and a half ago i definitely would have taken that but it's time now for uh, our first of two short interviews we're going to play you uh related to our new fanzine now and the first one is a big one tim why don't you introduce it yeah, we were we were lucky enough to to be granted access um, to Paul Mullen by uh, the media team at the football club, for which we're very thankful for. I had a good sit down chat with him um, after training. Uh, I think it was prior to the Bromley game. I want to say, yeah, I think it was. And yeah, just a really really nice, humble, humble fella. Um, I think he gets a lot of the, the the sort of similar interviews over the years, you know, about his goal record and this, that and the other. So we just, we thought we'd do something a little bit different and just to delve into him, what makes him tick, um, what his aspirations are, a few other little bits and bobs, you know, a little bit about him, favourite films, that sort of stuff. So it was really good. And um, yeah, I asked him, sort of opened up with, um, with who is the biggest influence on him so far. It's hard to say anyone from my family because everyone yeah. influenced me in their own way. But my mum and dad more than anyone because they give me a life that not many people have with me, meaning like we had a big back garden and obviously I had to give me brothers and sisters who have a play with. So I was permanently in the back garden with two older oh. brothers and an older sister <laughs> that my mum and dad have given me practicing every day. So it's from all of them really to playing with me, obviously siblings and my mum and dad for giving us it. It's just them two really just going to watch my brothers and play with my sister and stuff like that. Everyone was all in one. We're just one big family and still are now. So yeah, yeah. I couldn't really pick any single one of them. It's just everyone. But bless as the a back, bless the back idol, garden, I think, yeah. Yeah, that was my back garden. It was just like it still is now. My mum's back garden. You turn up and there's goal one and <laughs> same place for, for me for like the grandkids and for like my little lad and my nephews <laughs> and that. So that's one thing. But then as an actual football idol. Um, I think you said Torres previously. Yeah, I think Torres was pro- Torres was probably my first one who who I idolised. Um, used to go watch him, didn't you? But just used to go every week. I just watch him and then yeah. watch the games. Um, just him. Yeah, just watch where he ran, how he ran, what he done <laughs> in certain instances. But yeah, I'd probably say Torres before anyone else. Still is now. Even though we've had Suarez and Salah since, who even better yeah. as footballers, and easy to say, I still must prefer to go back to watch him any day. If really? I get the chance to watch him in his prime again. Like Mr. Hit, it must have hit when that move came around when he left. Painful. No, I can't even remember. Because <laughs> at that time I was into going the game, so it was just anger. Yeah. At the time, do you know what I mean? I was like a proper pro fan then, like didn't really see the side of I do now, because obviously I'm a player now. So I didn't really see it from his side. It just it was just anger that I didn't get to watch him anymore. That was all and anything yeah. else, just I couldn't see him. In terms of obviously I think you said it at Morecambe, you're finding your feet. Swindon played out of position slightly, I think midfield there thereabouts. Obviously your your good mate Norwood was 
was the main man at Tranmere. They played one up top and so on. Was there any any specific moment where you would consider that was my main setback in my career today? Is there any particular thing you main can pinpoint? Setback. Yeah, where you think you know what that really that. That, that's kind of a setback but I'll get over it it's just going to make me a stronger person and there's one thing I'll never get over is we got promoted at Wembley and I've watched the game four times since and I still can't get my head around how the manager wouldn't put me on the pitch really? they down to ten men nothing's happening can't create a chance and we put defenders on yeah we scored the 120th minute so we won the game was that Mickey was it? yeah but still for the life of me now ah uh, if you ever if you ever meet him again, I'd ask him. But I don't know. But you're few minutes. But watching the game, <laughs> didn't have that. That was like when we scored. That was made up. I just wanted yeah, to yeah. win. Do you know what I mean? But obviously, I'm looking back on it, I, I can't understand why I didn't play. That's one thing I really do hate about my time at footy is that I didn't get that chance. I wouldn't mind if we three 0 up or whatever. Yeah. But I just I just like to see sometimes why didn't he play me? Why not? I can't see it in that instance. Um, does that, mean, does that spur you on more when you think? No, you know not that. That just leaves a bit of taste with me to be yeah. honest. That thing, but the time when real setback was at Tramia, yeah. um, so signed, playing now and again. We played Oxford City, I think it was in the FA Cup, one 0 up. Um, not Oxford City, sorry, Southport it was. Southport in the FA Cup, 1-0 up after half-time. We go off at half-time, he brings me off. So I don't know where he's like. No idea why, but cool, whatever. The next week I turn up for the game and the chairman asked me how my ankle is. I was injured last week. And that's when I knew, like, I'm not going to play here, really. Like, really? It doesn't really matter to me what, yeah. what I do now. Like, I'm not going to play. The chairman's asking me how my ankle is, there was nothing wrong with me. <laughs> so I was like, where's that come from? I yeah. still don't know for this day where it's come from. Really? I'm not blaming anyone, but they asked me that and I was like, hmm, it's strange that. And then there was a game of Berry I played, come off after 60 minutes. And from that point on, I was, it was like, what can we do to get the best out of you? And let me play. Right? <laughs> that, that's all, just let me play. And it didn't happen, that's fair enough. That's footy, it happens, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, don't hold old, no ill regard against anyone. I just any question from that from that point on I knew my time at Tramia was done I just had to wait until I could move um, next summer come we didn't have many players thought I would play every game next year in League One didn't happen for another bizarre reason but I don't know why and then obviously come the January a year later from the Berry thing I um, left best thing I've ever done to be honest and I love my time at Tramia and I think the fans would appreciate that I did try my best mm. and they appreciate that I played well there but I just wish they got more time there, but it wasn't to be. That's football, and it's led me to succeed in how I did last year. And now, yeah. So. Uh, what 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 was the difference at Cambridge compared to previous years? Because I, I know I mentioned about the, the playing out position. I think you said in a previous interview that the reason it clicked at Cambridge because you had a manager that trusted you implicitly to go and do your job as a striker. Yeah, you just and let me play in my position, let me be me, and let me go and play how I thought I should play. And, it worked like it wasn't really a secret recipe he just let me be me and just got on with it and believed in me that I could go and do it whereas at other times at other clubs there's no belief but without actually playing me he just played me 
yeah, the new position and learn any secrets to it. Like they just <laughs> let me play, and luckily enough, I've, well, not lucky for me, but in, in his terms, it might be lucky that I went and repaid them. But I knew I could always do that, and that's why it was so frustrating in the past. Even now, looking back at Tramway, I, I think I could have helped a lot more than I did if I'd just been given the, the freedom to go and play. It was it felt like I was very restricted. So mm. you've you've kicked on from last season. Some people like you get you get a few skeptics and they like, say, "Oh, that season was just a flash in the pan. There's no way." However, you've carried on from where you left off at Cambridge here. You've settled well. We'll go into the the, the fan connection in a minute. You must be loving it at the moment. I mean, it's yeah. They can, the, the the variety of goals is not just any specific. Yeah, people thing. can say it's a flash in the pan, but you don't set a record. By law. Exactly. So it's, it doesn't just happen. You don't um, create records by luck. It doesn't happen that way in life. Um, so it's hard work and practice and come to fruition. But I've carried it on here this year and I want to carry it on for the rest of my career. It's not something I'm ever going to stop doing. It's just me. That's me scoring goals, being me. And even if I don't score, I like to try and help the team. And up to now, I've been doing that. I've been really enjoying it. Is that is that work ethic and your desire to strive to be the best you can be come from that family background? Come from that upbringing? Is yeah, that well, something that's always I'm been the youngest child. How, how many? So there's I've got one sister and two brothers. So I'm the youngest one. So I'm always either playing with them, and I have to, to get to their level if I'm gonna play footy with them. Otherwise, right. what am I gonna do? I just stand watching. Yeah, yeah. So I've got to find a way. And when I play with their mates. You gotta find a way again. They're, they're all, all, all older than me, so I think it just comes from that. Is that me, mum, and dad have always worked hard all their life. So obviously you copy them. My brothers and sisters do the same, but it was hard work playing back then. Mm. So I got used to my game was working hard first and foremost because I had to do nothing else when I was that, that age. But I think that just stays with you. Then you find your way of playing at an early age, where you sort of fall into how you play. And that'll stick with you. I think. I think now there'll be, say, a kid who's turns up for his first game, realise when he gets the ball he can just dribble and no one can really tackle him. Well, how are you going to change that? Because mm. if he keeps doing it against the same players every week, then the next year he does it against them, and the next year, then three years down the line, he's just a dribbler and everyone knows it. Like it's just how how you come into it. Really, you sort of fall into it. But yeah. I had to work hard to even enjoy a game of knockouts on the field with my brothers. Because <laughs> otherwise, I'll just sat and watch. Ever a kick about with your brothers when you're away from the field? Does that yeah, still when, happen? When we're in my mum's and it's summer over, I've been standing up <laughs> playing footy in my mum's garden still, but we love it. And it's just, we start laughing, we like, yeah. keep up so whatever, or smash balls at each other. Happy days. It's just things like that. I used to, if you ever turn me back on the ball, my brothers would be like, you, you, like, you have to stand at the bottom of the garden while we whack balls at you if you do that again. All right then, Sounds fair. <laughs> in terms of where you're at now, Wrexham fans. Cobb will say the same thing, they love a bit of a, a cult hero, not even a cult hero, just something to sort of pin their hopes to, and that's, that's with the greatest respect to everybody else in the team. Last night there was a gig in Buckley, the Charlton's, everybody was singing your name in the middle of that gig. <laughs> you've got, you've got uh, a, spe- a certain owner of the club who fanboys over here. I know you take this all in your stride, it's pretty obvious, but how, how have you, you've obviously felt that connection with the fans here, it's something that we're witnessing that's quite special. Is that something that you felt early on and, and is it comparable to, to, to previous clubs? I don't want to like unfairly compare, but it seems like everybody's like really willing you on to sort of succeed here. And I think working class town, people work hard and they can see that in you as well and where you've come from. 
Yeah, I think obviously other clubs have always been like that. Other clubs, the fans have always appreciated me. I've never had a club where it hasn't been that way. Um, obviously, at Tammy, everyone had loved me more. I'm sure it's the same. Cambridge, it was admiration as well, but sadly the fans weren't in the stadium, so I didn't get mm, to experience yeah, it much. Yeah. Um, but I've never experienced anything like 10,000 people singing my name and coming off the pitch and my mum and dad have been upset watching it because they've seen it so that's something I've never experienced but ultimately I just play for the team and just get on with it. Is it weird? It's weird because I'm a fan I go to Liverpool yeah, games yeah. so I sing the players names <laughs> like so I'm a fan first and foremost but I understand how they feel as well because yeah. that's been me with Torres and with other things and I just I just take it beside I enjoy it like I don't feel a pressure from it. If I score a goal, I enjoy it. I want to score again, so they can sing my name again. Like, if I do something and you sing my name, I want to do it again. Like, yeah. you just want want to stay on your feet because you want to do well for them. Like, they make you really want to go and express yourself and yeah. do it again. Do you know what I mean? I, I've never felt like I have for me, but that's obviously it's hard to say on Cambridge because I didn't get to share it with the fans. So that's yeah, yeah. thing. But I've never had it like it is. But ultimately, I want to. Cut continue it doesn't sometimes it can just turn in an instant can it so you good, never know good, what happens feeling, in football good, do you good, know good what I mean? feeling so. on Tuesday though obviously I mean the fist pumps at the end um, I don't know I, people some, you said to me they just said the phrase was that Mulls just just gets it whatever they mean by that and I, I'm assuming they mean that, that you get them you get the club is I that do. fair I to say the people of this club they get me and I think fans reciprocate you yeah. off the pitch. So if you play full of energy, they'll be full of energy towards you. If you play lazily, they'll be lazy towards you. It's anything in life a person reflects the person they're talking to. Like yeah. it just happens. But it is obviously Tuesday night. You've got loads of fans there, and it's just instinct. That's just me. Do you know what I mean? I never put an act on. I never act up for anyone. I don't really care. Like if we get be two two one, someone singing my name, you won't see me celebrating or being happy about it. I won't be happy we got beat. Um, but it is lovely feeling, obviously, when you win games. But it just be me. I, I, I get everyone works hard here, and I've had to work hard to get where I'm getting. Mm. And I want to carry on. Like I've come here for success, and you need know, to be successful by winning games. And the more the fans are like that with us, then that means we're doing something right. So yeah. Well, I'll wrap up with a few um, off kilt questions because I appreciate your time. I know you want to get out with your family. It's just it's just to sort of scratch the surface of you, really. Um, best piece of advice you've ever been given. Mm. Um, I said it wouldn't be boring. I'm trying to make it not boring. Of course. <laughs> um, these questions ever. Um, <laughs> one's not a piece of advice, but it was basically I realised myself that I used to be happy when I scored a goal, right. and now I'm not happy when I've scored two. Like never be happy with one, always want more and more. Yeah, and that's just that was me in every other aspect of my life apart from goals, and that's one thing that changed. Oh, okay. Um, but actual advice was from Keith Sutton when he was at Huddersfield with me. I was a young lad. He said, make sure you buy a house that you can afford to pay off by the time you're finished. And anything <laughs> anything advice. after that is a bonus. So if that, if that house is £10,000, £20,000, whatever, £50,000, whatever it is, make sure you've got one that you can pay off in the 15 years you play. And if you earn anything better than that, then 
it's a bonus. Yeah, security, isn't it? So either way, when you finish your career, as view was, if you finish your career and you've got somewhere to live, it doesn't matter what happens. And I think that's something that's always stuck with me from when I was young. This is true. Um, Paul Mullins' favourite karaoke song? The Gambler. The Gambler? Oh, right, okay. They need to be made up with that. Happy <laughs> days. Um, favourite film and or TV show? Say that's like some actual karaoke song isn't anywhere near my favourite song, but <laughs> what's a favourite TV show? Yeah, or film, or both. Film, probably Shawshank Redemption, I'd assume. Hard to beat. I'm not really a film person though, so. Um, TV programme, TV series, I've got quite a few Sons of Anarchy, Prison Break, um, Gamora, an Italian one. I need to watch that. Um, yeah, probably something like that. Okay. Who plays you in a movie of your life? Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was a stock answer. Like if, you, if anybody ever asks you that, give them that answer. Crikey, that was like too fast. <laughs> Hidden talent. You're like, like, like an express fisherman or something. Yeah. Something that wouldn't, you know, you're like a, an amazing cross stitcher or something stupid like that. Something that, if you went, well, if you went a footballer, what would you be? I suppose that, that's kind of like a two-fold question. Hidden talent and what would you be if you weren't a footballer? I don't know, I don't really have much. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> what you see is what you get, so... Right, another it's talent. A bit hard. Um, another Not talent. I um, <laughs> don't know, I actually think I'm reasonably clever. Um, but you know, Sparky or Carpenter or something. Different things, like, I don't know. I don't really have a hidden talent. Um, <laughs> just want to be a good dad. Talented at everything. Good dad is, is, a, is a good one. Any hobbies and pre-match superstitions? Golf. Golf's really a, my only, one of my few hobbies that I enjoy to do. Um, what's, your hand, what's your handicap? 16, 18, depends. Probably now about 22 because I haven't played for five months, but <laughs> when I was playing properly about 16, it weren't too bad. Um, what's the other part? Pre-match superstitions. Pre-match yeah, superstitions. No, not really. Put, just put the left sock up before the I right just, sock and all. None of that. Rubbish. Um, <laughs> doesn't make a difference to how you play. Doesn't matter if there's eating. Um, yeah, you're gonna play well, play bad or indifferent. Doesn't really matter what you do beforehand. It's just what happens when you're playing. But yep. the only thing I really have is I wear. If I scored in boots, I wear them the next game. But I just like to wear the same black boots. So that's well, that's not a superstition. That's just what I like. So. Well, you can't really beat that, can you? Um, in terms of your favourite Wrexham goals so far to date, there's been a few. I imagine by the time this comes to print, there might be a few more. Favourite one? Is there any specific one that stands out where you think, you know what, I got some proper, proper... No, the other night, so yeah? Tuesday night's probably the, the best one, just because yeah. it was late. They never, when you scored past the 89th minute, like, it's, it's an unwritten rule, you have to take your top off, it's like a feeling that you just you wait for like that's why you play football is for that feeling but to get it in the 91st minute like yeah it was good, it's even better it? like just opened up didn't it because it was just like yeah we just counted quick didn't we and just seen a space and I don't know how we got that in that stage of the game but I think we caught them cold and actually scored. Going back to that question, is Ryan Reynolds actually going to play you in a bit of a Did you have that conversation with him? Hopefully he can sort it so I can play myself. <laughs> I get a few quid out of it. Oh dear me. <laughs> um, that's great Paul, thank you so much. That's right, maybe just a proper question for him.
thanks again to Paul Mullin for his time there. Um, really great chat with Tim. Um, up next for you is a really interesting conversation I had with someone you might not necessarily associate with uh, that day back in 1992, but it's Nick Parry, who will be known to many of you as Scorio's football commentator on S4C. Uh, and he uh, regaled me with some of his memories. He's a very, very funny guy uh, of the... Um, of that famous game when he was just a young pup reporter for Roger Cymru. Nick Parry, uh, commentator for S4C, but 30 years ago, you were a commentator for the BBC. It's hard to believe it's 30 years, first of all, I can oh, imagine. Painful. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, you had the... Um, the honour, of course, which it turned out to be, to be the Radio Cymru commentator on that famous night, Wrexham versus Arsenal. Uh, what are your memories of that week to start with? The week was just a, a build-up. Um, I was a young solicitor and I lived in the magistrate's court, just defending day in, day out. And there were a group of us who did the same. We always had coffee together and we always had a biscuit from the biscuit machine or the chocolate. And two were Arsenal fans. And um, we had a bet. Wrexham, who'd finished the previous season 92nd in the leagues and would have been relegated, apart from the fact that restructuring saved them, and Arsenal were the champions. So you couldn't have a greater extreme between two league clubs. And we had a bet. If Wrexham, if, if Arsenal won, I, the Wrexham fan, would buy these two Arsenal-supporting solicitors a chocolate from the machine. But if Wrexham won, they would buy me 10 chocolate bars each. <laughs> so I had the potential of losing out on two bars, but gaining 20 bars. So I thought, good odds. So that was how it started. Then we had the exciting news that Anders Limpa, Steve Bold and Ian Wright weren't fit. We thought that was great news, <laughs> even though it still left them with seven England internationals. Yeah. And we went there um, expecting, as Brian Flynn said in the build-up, as the manager said, on paper, these should murder us. And I mean murder, he said. And then added the cliche, uh, but of course, we're not playing on paper. <laughs> and that obviously proved to be the case. And before we talk about the game itself, the you were a Wrexham fan and brought up a Wrexham fan. Yeah, yeah. I used to go with my grandfather, my father. And then in the 70s, late 70s, when Wrexham achieved something else or had achieved something, when they were actually promoted to the old Division Two, having knocked on the door for three consecutive seasons. I was a university student at Aberystwyth. We'd come on the minibus midweek and weekends to see all the games. So, yeah, I'd um, been brought up uh, on Wrexham. Now, on that day, uh, obviously, it was packed at the race course, wasn't it? it must, the atmosphere must have been incredible. I've got an obsession with, um, and it is an obsession, with getting to places early. Even now, when I commentate, the players won't come with me. They say, we're not going with Nick Parry, because it means they're there four hours before kickoff. <laughs> um, but on this day, it went to a greater extreme, because I knew it would be bedlam, and it was. And it was one of those great days where 
people weren't in a rush to get into the stadium. They just wanted to meet each other and discuss and gather outside. And then eventually they all went in. And I've seen press reports and that so many refer to a nearly full race course. You could not have stuff Mr. Matchstick Man in. It was <laughs> absolutely rammed. And in fairness, okay, they were champions. Thousands of Arsenal supporters there as well behind the goal. Mm. And the game itself, how was that? Well, they did what you'd expect cynical champions to do. Um, within minutes of the first half, they killed that fantastic atmosphere. Arsenal dominated the game. They missed one chance after chance after chance. And, of course, as the minutes tick, the great excitement was, we're going to get to half-time. <laughs> Nil-nil. And then a minute, a minute before half-time, Paul Merson, just some fantastic work by Merson, got a cross in, and Alan Smith, and listen to who I'm naming. And Smith got a, a pretty scruffy goal, and... To, to add to the woes, Wrexham were going in one down at half-time and we thought, this is it, the avalanche is 15 minutes away. And then, of course, we'll forget about the first 40 minutes of the second half. <laughs> it's irrelevant. We get to the 82nd minute with Mickey Thomas. Describe to us your view of that, because obviously we're, you know, especially yeah. younger fans like me who weren't there, we're very used to that one angle of that goal. What was yours like? Yeah, we're on the halfway line, commentary position, fairly higher, good position, and Wrexham are playing from left to right. So Mickey scored in the goal where all the three goals were, in fact, scored. The goal to our right, the goal in front of the Arsenal supporters, where Smith had scored in the first half. So um, that's the view that I had. Looking down, him to my right, deep in the Arsenal half, having the kick. So the kick comes, and bloody Wayne Phillips is there <laughs> with Mickey. And I'm thinking, we've got eight minutes. We're not going to get many chances. This is not a great chance. It's a long way out, but it's a chance. And it is Mickey Thomas, even though he was 37 by then. What's Wayne Phillips doing there? Surely Wayne Phillips isn't going to be allowed to, to take a kick. And then, fortunately, he trotted away, no doubt having been given a few choice words by Mickey. <laughs> and then, then the exocet followed. Here's the commentary of that goal. I think there's even something in it for our non-Welsh speaking listeners as well. And you can hear that. Eruption. Yeah, well, our, our, our listeners can be assured that's as ill-disciplined and over-the-top in Welsh as it is in English. <laughs> of course. And, <laughs> and the game was totally turned on its head within two minutes, yeah. wasn't it? It, it, was a, it was a fantastic strike. David Seaman, it has to be said, did miraculously well to get a hand to that. He did. Hmm. And if it had been a stronger hand, he'd have achieved his aim and it would have gone up over the bar. How he touched it, I don't know, but it was a sensational goal. And then, two minutes later, came the second and... I've named the Arsenal players, I've named Mickey. We had um, Gordon Davis playing. And Gordon Davis, again, my view, right-hand side of the penalty box to my right. And um, Adams, uh, of all people, Tony Adams coming across and making a complete mess of cutting out, which is a fairly innocuous ball in. And then Scruffy Steve. And um, 
if, 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 if the first goal caused ecstasy um, and, the, well, the second one, we were wetting ourselves. Well, we, we, I've got the commentary to that as well. And, and there's a, you get a glimpse into the uh, the famous uh, scream of Malcolm Allen that S for CV was a very used to now. Here it is. I'm not sure how I commentated because I was being held, not by supporters, by people who are commentating in the press box. We are usually so disciplined, but even the, the commentators were hugging each other, microphone up here, and um, it was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. And then it was the Alamo. It really was the Alamo after that. One chance after the other, they pressed and pressed. Rowcastle, I remember, running the show, and um, that they, they held out um, for, well... It, it's still one of the great upsets, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, you know, I was going to come on to that next in that it's ranked so highly as an upset. Where does it rank for you in your career? Well, well, John Watson described it as the giant killing that has stood the test of time. And um, he places that with the Hereford game and the famous Ronnie Radford goal in the yes. 70s when he was commentating. And he still claims, and I think he's right, that those two were probably up there with the um, most sensational cup upsets um, of all time. The, the, the funny thing is the BBC didn't send the main commentator to Hereford and they made the same mistake again. Uh, they didn't send one to Wrexham because obviously they were expecting a one-sided annihilation. And uh, it was Tony Gubber standard as far as they were concerned. No disrespect to Tony. Um, but um, he was sent. And of course, I doubt if he's had as much attention as he did that night when it was his commentary on the, on the highlights being shown. But so far as where it ranks, um, I would go as far as to say 1992 all the way to summer 2016 and the Wales-Belgium game in the Euros. Um, it was the favourite from 92, unmatched, until the Euros 2016. It was that great uh, an occasion. Yeah. And you mentioned about Tony Gubber. I suppose the interesting thing was if they'd have sent John Motson or someone else, we may not have had that famous magic little man quote, which has obviously also stood the test of time. <laughs> and and, and uh, absolutely to his credit, absolutely. Mm. And these are the occasions um, where great lines are hatched. Unfortunately, the Radio Cymru commentator was too excited and had Malcolm Allen holding his testicles um, and so could do nothing but scream. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's good to hear it again. That was Nick Parry, uh, and thanks again to him for his time. You can read the full interview uh, and article with him uh, in Welsh in uh, Fearless in Devotion in the new fanzine. Um, so please do pick that up if you can. And obviously the full interview uh, with Paul Mullin is also in that edition as discussed. However, prediction time. Andy, hit us. Um, it won't surprise you that we all went for a win. Um, everyone went for um, quite a big win. Um, but obviously 
it was only 1-0 and no one went for that. I went 2-0. Rishi went 3-1. Tim, you must have been smoking crack because you went 4-0. Uh, yeah, but the promise was there. On another day, it would have been 4-0. <laughs> maybe if Ponticelli had, uh, hadn't skied it and maybe he'd got into some better positions. Uh, and Liam, you went 2-1. So, yeah, as we were, uh, everyone, everyone got the same. Uh, so, Gloucester next Saturday. I will go first. I think it will be a weakened team, and I think we'll eke a 2-1. Reese, do you want to go next? Yes. I, uh, I'm i also inclined to think that we will win. Weakened team, but there's some strong players on the bench at the moment. Uh, Tyler French comes to mind, and I'd, I'd like to see He'll him still get... be on the bench, don't worry. He'll still be on the bench, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a 2-0. Okay. Tim? 8-0. <laughs> I was initially going to go, you know what, I don't really I don't really fancy us this time and I fancy us, I was going to say we're going to lose, but then looking at the squad depth, ugh, I don't know. I'm going to, oh, yeah, it's going to be classic, isn't it? 1-0. 1-0 to the, to the Reds. And finally, Liam? I am going to book the trend and I'm going to say with a weakened team, we're going to lose 2-1 to Gloucester. Oh, nice. Well, on that really positive note going into Christmas, uh, it's time to leave you. Thank you very much again for listening and engaging with us. We really appreciate it. But yeah, reasons to be cheerful. We're fourth on the table. Things are looking up. We're going to sign Javi in January, apparently. So everything's going to be fine. Um, see you all next week. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Bye bye. Here's a real. Take care. Come on board, Joe Sparrow.